We open God's Word up to 1 Samuel chapter 18, having read chapter 17 this morning, the story, the account of David defeating Goliath in the Lord's strength, and therefore silencing the mouth of the blasphemer who defied the Lord. We're looking at the third commandment and the calling to honor the name of the Lord. Tonight we continue to see a King Saul who doesn't do that, in fact, becomes very jealous of his own name. At the end of 1 Samuel 17, Saul had asked about who, who, whose son this David was, and Abner didn't know, and then Abner brought David before Saul, and Saul asked him, whose son are you? And David had confessed, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. And then we pick it up at 1 Samuel 18, verse 1, the word of the Lord. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, and he behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can be, excuse me, now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand, and Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here's my older daughter, Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, Who am I, and what is my life or my father's family in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholalithite, 
as a wife. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, Communicate with David secretly, and say, Look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke those words in the hearing of David, and David said, Does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I'm a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, In this manner David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry, but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired, therefore David arose and went, he and his men, and killed two hundred men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, and they gave them in full count to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. God's word. Let's ask the Lord to be with us tonight, shall we? O Holy Spirit, Lord, and giver of life, we pray that you, the Spirit of Christ, would come upon us and fill us, that you would lead us in the light of your word, and that you would illuminate your word to us and to our hearts, which are naturally dark, but enlivened by you, that we may see and believe and so live. We pray you'd bless your word tonight, that you'd guide to be preached faithfully, and that you, the Lord and God of all power and might, and the God of all grace to your people, would visit us this evening through your word, as you are pleased to do, as you've promised to do, and as you know that we need, for Father, we are weak in ourselves and we are weak in this world. But you, the Lord, our strength, revealed in your word as our only hope. Grant us our Savior tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, congregation of Christ, there's just two kinds of people in the world. Ultimately, there are those who pray, hallowed be thy name, and there are those who don't. So we either take our life's ambition that the name of God be lifted up or we take as our life's ambition to exalt our own name and in the end those are the only choices this morning we studied the third commandment you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain and in connection with first Samuel 17 we saw the good news that David who is a a picture of the coming king the greater son of great David our Lord Jesus that The glory of God's name is revealed in Christ, and in Christ we are made a people who pray, hallowed be thy name, who love the Lord's glory. But tonight as we read on in 1 Samuel, and I thought we'd do that, we'd look at one more chapter here, we see the opposite reaction in King Saul. 
a man who, who won't yield to the Lord's king, and instead now it takes a posture of resistance because he's so concerned to protect his own name. The Lord is uncovering to his people here the futility, the futility, the worthlessness of living for our own name. And it's good for us to see this because Satan is always painting a picture that, that if you'll seek yourself, you know, you'll win, you'll have success, you'll have life. And God is showing us it is an empty hole. So let's look tonight at the worthless jealousy for man's fame, as the Lord here is exalting his King David. Let's look, first of all, at the source of Saul's jealousy, and then the schemes of Saul's jealousy, and then the senselessness of Saul's jealousy. First of all, the dark source of Saul's jealousy. God had, in chapter 17, brought salvation to his people through the sling of David, and he won, a, obviously, a glorious victory over over the Philistine. But then something happens as they're on their way home from battle. We read that, that as they're returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women of Israel come out singing and dancing. And it says they actually come out to meet King Saul. But King Saul notices what they say. Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul is very upset. He's angry. It displeases him. Now, Saul's not upset because they're singing praise about men and not about God. Saul might have done that. He might have said, dear sisters, you know, it's the Lord who did this. Let's give our praise to God. doesn't do that. He's worried about Saul's name. He's worried about himself. If he cared about God's name and God's kingdom... Then he would rejoice in God's choice of a king and God's victory. But Saul is in it for Saul. And it's important, I think, to think about what led up to this in, in the life of, of King Saul in the last chapter. When that great victory over the Philistine occurred, Saul, I think, sought to explain it away. I mentioned at the end of 1 Samuel 17 that that Saul is asking, whose son are you? Whose son are you? And commentators puzzle over that question because actually back in chapter 16, Saul had been introduced to David because he was told that Jesse had the son that could play the harp and Saul was being troubled in spirit and so forth. And so Saul had sent word to Jesse saying, send me your son. So Saul knew who David's father was if these chapters go in chronological order, which they seem to do. Saul already knew who David's dad was. So then you're asking, well, what is Saul asking when he, he says, David, who is your father? And I think the best explanation is that Saul is actually asking about what kind of a family David comes from and whether David comes from a family that might give an explanation as to how David could defeat Goliath. He's asking about David's lineage and family history. S.G. DeGraff, in his excellent Promise and Deliverance series, puts it like this. Saul was inquiring about the significance of his family in Israel. Had this heroic spirit ever appeared in David's family before? Saul was trying to explain David's courage of faith. It was not enough for him to acknowledge in faith the miracle of grace in David's deed. Saul didn't want to say, the Lord did this. 
God worked a great thing through David. So if Saul won't say that, then Saul has to say, you know, what is it about your family? Who, who are the mighty warriors in your family? How do we explain what happened here against Goliath? He's blind. Saul's blind to the deeper reality that God has visited his people through his newly anointed David. And so there's this stubborn resistance. You still find that going on today, don't you, oftentimes when, when, when co-workers perhaps want to explain what you do based on how you were raised, right? Oh, you, that's just because you were raised that way. And sometimes we actually, we actually give them the ammunition sometimes, right? They say, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And say, well, I wasn't raised that way. Well, that's a purely a human explanation. Instead, we ought to say, because the Spirit of God, because Christ has taken hold of my life, miracle of grace. And people do this with Jesus too, don't they? They want to say, oh, he's a great teacher. He's a really good guy. He's, he's a noble man. But they don't want to say he's divine. But you see, if we won't be awed by the Lord's deliverance, by the miracle of grace, then we'll be impressed only with ourselves. And so Saul, had he bowed and praised God and said, what a, what a glorious thing you've done through David. You have visited your people. Then he would he'd put his arm around David and say, we are partners in the same cause, the glory of the Lord. But instead, he's angry about what the women sing. And we're reminded here in our text tonight, I think, that, that this is what still happens in the church today, that whenever our service is not about advancing God's honor, then it always becomes about self. And whenever our service is about self, then, then, then in tow behind it are always petty jealousies and envy and rivalry. And all of this comes from a very dark place. If you, if you ask, you know, where, where does this come from in Saul's life? Where does this come from in my life that I get worried about myself? Well, you can trace it back to the garden, to Adam and Eve, who ate of the fruit to become like God. And then, of course, you can trace it to the one who tempted them, the devil, who was not content, but wanted to exalt himself. So we were all poisoned at the beginning of time, and we, we come into the world concerned about me and mine and my name. And it's rooted in a blindness to the glory of God. Satan would not see the wonder of God. He refused to bow and to glory in it. Many today refuse to bow and glory in Jesus Christ. Sometimes we refuse to be amazed at the wonder of, of what God has done in giving us his son. We won't awe over that as we should. And then we can only be impressed with ourselves. We should remember that this kind of pride is not from God. First John 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. We get so used to sometimes a world where everyone's seeking their own that we forget how foreign this is to God's kingdom. All of the self-seeking that we see here in King Saul belongs to a different kingdom, the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of Satan. And yet self-serving kings are what God's people gravitate towards 
by nature. Our world loves self-seeking leaders, doesn't it? But God doesn't leave us his people there, does he? From this dark place, God will rescue with a true leader, David, and great David's greater son. Well, if we've seen the source of Saul's jealousy, let's look at the schemes of Saul's jealousy, the cruel schemes. There's quite a, a contrast in reactions, isn't there, to David in, in 1 Samuel 18. You, you've got Jonathan who loves him. You've got Michal, David, or Saul's daughter who loves him. You've got all of Israel and Judah love him. The army loves him. Saul hates him. So there's this great standoff. Saul feels threatened. And we always feel that way if we take a stand against the Lord. Because only one name can, can get the glory. And if we choose to serve our own pride and our own name, then we, we have to go to war against God. And so Saul chooses to go to war against God in the person of his anointed David. Saul's afraid of losing the kingdom. What else can David get but the kingdom? My kingdom. And so... Saul is worried about that. Saul is not a king who says, you know, I'm here by the pleasure of God. I serve as long as God wants. And if God thinks that somebody, someone, it's time for someone else or there's a, someone else now who will do a better job or, or whatever it might be God's plan, then that's fine. It's not the way Saul serves. That's actually the only way you can serve in the church. Say, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to serve. And if you ever see fit that somebody else should serve in this spot, so be it. I serve with an open hand. That's really the only way to serve in the church. Otherwise you become, as Saul does, about guarding your own turf and about paranoia. About Remember King Herod? Killed the babes of Bethlehem. He also killed a bunch of his family members trying to protect his reign. Saul lives in insecurity. So we watch Saul. First he... Doesn't let David go home anymore. You're going to stay with me. I'm going to keep you close. Then he throws a spear at him, apparently twice. Tries to pin him to the wall. Then he sends David out of his presence. Verse 13, Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand. And then he tries to kill David through the hand of the Philistines. He's going to give him his daughter Merib. Just go fight the Lord's battles. Maybe the Philistines will kill him. And then if that doesn't work, he tries another daughter. Let her be in a snare to David. Let him go try to kill 200 Philistines. Hopefully they'll kill him. And so it goes on and on here that Saul has, has, has taken aim against David and is trying to destroy him. And what we have to remember is that that's really the only option, right? If, if you don't bow to Christ and, and say, Lord Jesus, you, you are the king, then you have to be against him, right? You have to take aim at him. David was Saul's enemy continually, or Saul was David's enemy continually. It was perpetual warfare. King Saul is not leading Israel to seek the Lord's anointed. King Saul would actually, if the Lord had, you know, left his people in the hands of King Saul, King Saul was leading God's people into slavery, right? Back into slavery. But the Lord is merciful to stop that. And God is merciful to give us ultimately the Christ. And yet, 
In John chapter 8, Jesus uncovers the satanic slavery of the Jews. Jesus says in John 8, If you abide in me and my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they say, well, we're Abraham's descendants. We're free. And Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And then Jesus said, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. And they say, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said, if God were your father, you'd love me. For I've proceeded forth and came from God. And then he said, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Saul is a murderer after the pattern of the devil. This is the nature of that dark kingdom. And these are its schemes and its ploys to destroy. Still today, right? Why do people get so angry at Christians? Why is there persecution of Christians? Because they can't, they can't stand that convicting voice. Even the presence of a believer sometimes irritates an unbeliever. Those who, who live a life of bowing to Jesus Christ and exalting Christ, it's an irritant. It plagues the conscience of those who want to live for themselves. Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of murder. And so Christ has warned us that we, we shouldn't expect, we should not expect to be loved by the world. If they hated me, they're going to hate you, right? We shouldn't expect to be loved by the world. Sometimes we're, we're so surprised by the turmoil, by the conflict, by the hostility. And Jesus says, don't be surprised. Everyone who's not living for the Lord feels threatened. And sometimes when we, maybe in some area of our life, have have chosen our own path, not going to listen to what the Lord says, then we feel threatened. And signs of feeling threatened would be avoidance of the convicting word or getting angry at the message or the messenger. Another sign of feeling threatened is when trials appear and our plans get canceled, we become angry, things are getting in our way, or a commitment to protect our own pleasure at all costs. We find these kind of things in our lives, that we don't want to hear the word. We don't want to be around people that would speak the word. We're getting angry. Things aren't working out. We, you see, we need, to, we need to check again whose agenda we're following, whose plans we're serving. The schemes, the warfare against God is, in the end, utterly worthless. And that's the final thing we want to look at, the avoidable senselessness of Saul's jealousy. Let's look finally at that tonight. Saul's chosen path is utterly pointless. It's ridiculous. It's absurd. And that for two reasons. Number one, because Saul can't win. 
As you read the chapter 18 here, Saul realizes the Lord's blessing David, the Lord's blessing David, the Lord's blessing David. And, and the more he sees God blessing David, the more he goes to war against David. But that's the nature of sin, right? Sin is always irrational. Sin is crazy. Sin thinks that we're going to overthrow God, right? The Lord laughs. The Lord laughs in the heavens. No one's going to overthrow God. You're not going to overthrow God's anointed. You're not going to outdo God's plan. And the chapter ends with what? After all that Saul has done, all these attempts on the life of David, all these schemes, all these ploys, the name of David becomes highly esteemed. Our Lord Jesus Christ will come and and, and the, the Jews will take aim this way and then that way and this way and that way. And, and what's the... What, what's the conclusion of the matter? Christ is lifted up and seated on the throne and given the name above every name. And one day he'll come again. And we'll see how irrational sin is. But there's another reason that Saul's quest for himself is irrational. And it's because... God has summoned all people to find true life and happiness in his anointed. Sin is irrational because, you see, it's not I don't have any other choice. If I don't fight, I'm not going to live. This is the only, this is the only option I got. I've got to fight. That's not the case. This is a gospel in God's anointed. The king that, that God sends, David, is a king you can fall down before and find your life in. And you see, as you read 1 Kings 18, some people are, are, are loving David, right? The military loves David. What a great leader. These women sing praise. Here's the deliverer. Israel and Judah love David. He goes out and fights the wars for them. Michal loves David. But the premier love for David is seen at the very beginning of the chapter that we skipped over, and that's in Jonathan's love for David. Now, something remarkable happens at the beginning of this chapter. Jonathan apparently there is his father's questioning David and, and Saul's trying to, to give a human explanation to this great feat of destroying Goliath. But then we read verse 1, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan loves David because Jonathan and David are kindred spirits. Jonathan earlier had fought bravely. He trusted in the Lord. But this is more than a friendship of comrades for Christ. Actually, in verse 3, Jonathan and David make a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. He, in a, in a covenant, in a, in a bond, he binds himself to David but then more than that, verse 4, Jonathan takes off the robe and gives it to David with his armor, his sword, his bow, and his belt. What is Jonathan doing? Jonathan is acknowledging that David has claim to the throne. Jonathan is the crown prince. Jonathan is the next in line. Jonathan has the promise that the kingdom will be his. And Jonathan hands it all over to David. He surrenders everything, even his claim to the throne. And how does he do that? He does it by faith. In faith, 
He's beginning to recognize that David is the Lord's chosen, the Lord's anointed. And this Christ, who was busy in Jonathan's heart back there and busy in David's heart, appears at last in the New Testament in human flesh, born of David's line. And he comes, doesn't he, to deliver. And he comes now to say, you don't have to go to war against me. You don't have to take up arms against me. You don't have to try to destroy me, but I actually call you into my kingdom. And I would bestow upon you all the riches. I will fight for you and win the victory and give you the spoils of war. But you have to relinquish your pretended place. And you have to come under my lordship. And you have to take all those robes that you've stolen and put on yourself to exalt your name and lay them down at my feet. And give me my rightful place. That's what conversion is, isn't it? When Jesus says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. I will give you the kingdom. I will give you the victory. But take my yoke upon you. Bow down your neck and come under my lordship. That's costly, right? Very costly in one sense. Costs you everything. To die to self. You have to give up everything. There's nothing that you can retain for yourself under your own lordship. Every relationship, every moment, every dream, everything. That we, like Jonathan, strip ourselves bare. Christ, you see, could strip all of us as David did to Goliath. Stripped of his armor, took his life. Christ has the right to do that to anyone and everyone, all of us sinners. But instead, he offers us salvation. He offers to be our king of deliverance. Sin is irrational. To go to war with the one who's full of love and mercy To go to fight against the one you can't defeat and the one who actually would give you everything and eternally. Sin is absurd. But you see, sinners can't see it but for the Spirit of Christ. The Spirit of Christ alone gives spiritual perception. How could Jonathan give up everything? Wasn't he cutting his own throat? No, Jonathan had faith to behold in David God's anointed, that he was not actually losing in any, anything, but he was gaining everything, wasn't he? Jonathan was willing to give it all up, to strip himself, to give it to David, to covenant with David, and to do it joyfully because he knew, I'm not losing anything, I'm gaining everything. Remember Jesus' parables, right? of the treasure hidden in the field. A man discovers the treasure in the field. He buries it up. He goes to buy the field. And he says that for joy, right? He, he sells all he has for joy. He gives up everything he has to get the treasure. And you see, that's the delight of the Christian life. Saul's existence is a miserable existence. Feeling threatened. Paranoia. A life of murdering those who might take your place. The choice of Jonathan is the choice of faith, and it's delightful. 
to say it's not by my might that I'm going to guarantee my future. It's not by protecting my life that I'm going to save it. But by giving up my life to bow at the feet of the Lord's anointed, I find my salvation. Have you done that? Have you given up the quest to protect your own life and stripped yourself bare and laid it all at Christ's feet and said, I find my life in you? And if you've said that in your life, have you maintained that in your life? Or are there places tonight that you can see that the old way is creeping back in and you're beginning to fight and to hedge and protect? And so maybe there's stresses and there's anxieties and there's angers. And maybe Christ calls us that again to see what we've picked up and made our own, where we've begun to to do battle for our own kingdom and our own lives. And Jesus says, give it all up again. Lay it at my feet. I'm your protector. I'm your keeper. I'm the one who gives you an eternal inheritance. Are you trusting in your own righteousness? So upset that you can't measure up? Lay it down. Rest in my righteousness. Are you trying to guard your job? You're going to do it. You're going to keep this job. Lay it at my feet. Say, Lord, you are my provider. You see, there's a, a joyful delight when we abandon all into the hands of our Lord Jesus. The path of sin is irrational absurdity. It's utterly doomed to failure. But resting in Jesus Christ, we find our happiness, we find our security, and we're able to give glory to our God. May God help us as his people to do that. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for your great work in the heart of Jonathan to show us, your people, that there is a way to accept your king and to delight in him. We thank you that you visited us in your greater anointed, our Lord Jesus. We thank you for his great victory over Satan. And we thank that he shares that victory with us. We pray you'll forgive us, Father, where we've sought again to guard our own lives and find our own way in the world. Give to us your mercies and the grace of your Spirit that we might find the place to fall down before Christ. Give us faith to perceive in Christ our security. In his name we ask it. Amen.